Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Mark Podolsky. Hi, Mark. Mike Zlatnik. How are you? How are you, Thanks sir? So for having me. I hope I pronounced your name correctly. <laughs> you, you did. It was perfect. Yeah. That's great. Um, tell us a little bit about you. You are known as the Land Geek. You are a, an authority, a foremost authority on uh, buying, selling, uh, uh, developing, I guess, uh, raw land. Uh, so just, just tell us a little bit about you and just a couple of words about um, uh, where, where you're based, your family. Yeah, I, I live in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and um, I, I love making land cash flow. That's that's great. How about family? Uh, you live there alone. You have, I have three. Family. Yeah, yeah. I have three kids: um, twenty-one, eighteen, and seventeen. Two boys and a girl. And um, yeah, I'm, I, I love to travel. So right now, I'm splitting time between La Jolla and Scottsdale, and loving it. That's awesome. La Jolla is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You ever play golf at the uh, La Jolla at the Torrey Pines? I, I know I don't play golf, which is the weirdest thing. Um, it's like you know, it's like living in San Diego. You got to play golf, right? <laughs> you got to play golf, and if you're in San Diego, you get to surf. I do, I do neither, but I like watching it. That's cool. Um, so l- l- let's go back to uh, back to the land. Um, just tell us a little bit about. What is raw land in general, um, and how do you create cash flow in raw land? Sure, sure. So um, let's just use you as a case study. So, Mike, where do you live? I live in Brooklyn, New York. You're in Brooklyn, New York. Okay, I'm going to assume that you own five acres of raw land in Colorado, and you owe $200 in back taxes. So you're advertising two important things to me. Number one, you have no emotional attachment to raw land. You're in New York, the property's in Colorado. And number two, you're distressed financially in some weird way. It, because we don't pay for things, we don't value them the same way. You haven't paid your property taxes. As a result, the county treasurer keeps saying, you notice saying, Mike, if you don't pay your property taxes, you're gonna lose that property to a tax deed or tax lien investor. So all I'm gonna do is look at the comparable sales on your five acre parcel. I'm gonna take the lowest comparable sale and I'm gonna divide by four. And that's going to give you what Warren Buffett would call a 300% margin of safety. So let's just use easy numbers and say the lowest comparable sale is $10,000. So I'm going to send you an offer for $2,500. Now you accept it. Why? Because for you, $2,500 is better than nothing. In reality, three to 5% of people accept my quote unquote top dollar offer. But now that you've accepted it, I have to go through due diligence or in-depth research. I have to confirm you still own the property. I have to confirm back taxes are only $200. I have to make sure there's no liens or encumbrances, no breaks in the chain of title. So this whole list, and we can close it through a title company or if it's $5,000 or less, I'll outsource all that to my team in the Philippines. They're connected to an American title company. But then I'm going to sell your property 30 days or less and I'm going to make a cash flow like a rental home. So Mike, I have a built-in best buyer. Do you know who it is? No. 
the neighbors, the neighbors. So I'm going to send out neighbor letters saying, hey, here's your opportunity. Protect your privacy, protect your views. Know your neighbor. Oftentimes the neighbors will buy. Now, if they pass, I'll go to my buyer's list. The buyer's list passes, I'll go to a little website you may have never heard of. It's called Craigslist, 10th most trafficked website, or 15th most trafficked website in the United States. I'll go to one I know you've heard of called Meta or Facebook buy sell groups in the marketplace. And then I'll go to the lands, landmoto.com, landandfarm.com, landsofamerica.com, landflip.com, landhub.com. These are platforms where people buy and sell raw land. But the way that I'm going to sell it is I'm going to make it irresistible. So all I'm going to ask for is a $2,500 down payment. And then I'm going to get a car payment. Let's say $297 a month for the next 84 months. So it's a one-time sale. I get my money out on the down, but I could go six to 10 months out. And then I get pa- passive income of $297 a month for the next 84 months. No renters, no rehabs, no renovations, no rodents. And because I'm not dealing with the tenant, I'm exempt from Dodd-Frank, RESPA, and the SAFE Act, all this onerous real estate legislation. So the game that we play is, can we create enough of these land notes where our passive income exceeds our fixed expenses, and now you're working because you want to, not because you have to? Yeah, certainly love the model. And no, no number of guys could do this in a similar manner. But the first question, do you actually transfer the deed and record deed of trust, or do you sell it on a land contract? land contract and the reason being there's no cost of foreclosure so right. if they default not a problem we lower our cost basis and we just resell oh on a very cheap lot that, that's that's your only viable option otherwise the cost of foreclosure will eat your all your equity away exactly exactly yeah i t- totally totally know that uh, we actually know a couple of guys and they've been on, on the podcast too they do some very similar guys called discount lots they, they, they also buy land and then they sell it just like you um, to, um, I guess, the neighbors or whoever wants to buy it that basically has an American dream of land ownership and they, they can't afford to buy it in cash, so they get a payment plan and it makes total right. sense. So, yeah, I mean, the problem is you can't get a, a loan on raw land. Well, then not only you can't get a loan, uh, nobody wants to deal with those small loans, right? And no bank, right. There's, no, there's no economics for, for a bank to loan you money, even if it's not $10,000 a lot, if it's 20, 30, 40, even, you know, even $50,000 a lot. And it, it, you're right, it's not Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, it's not Owner Rock, it's basically Roland. So it's almost like uh, there's the, the no, unless you have a private banker, they'll give you a private loan. But beyond that, it's just no financing available. Right. So, how do you um, how do you find your lots? How do you find uh, so obviously you gave an example of Mike living in New York and then owning lots in Colorado, and uh, I still wouldn't. It's a little difficult for me to to, to figure out why would they want to buy uh, a couple of acres of land in the middle of nowhere. Uh, obviously, Colorado right. is beautiful. <laughs> but, right. Right. Um, uh, so I guess folks in, in inherit the, the land or how do they come to own it uh, and, and not, not doing anything with it? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people want it as a legacy investment. So, you know, Ted Turner's got that great quote, buy land, it's the only thing that lasts. So a lot of people will just buy it and hold it 
the property taxes are inexpensive and they'll go out there with their family or friends and they'll camp or they'll hunt, they'll fish. And a lot of preppers, these are people hoping for the best, preparing for the worst. They want raw land. People that don't like people want raw land. So, you know, it's just, it, it's an interesting niche. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've done this 6,000 times. I've never been stuck with a piece of raw land. They all yeah. sell. No, that's very cool. I certainly love the model. It makes makes total sense. And your bid and ask difference is just huge. You as a buyer, you, you basically you you're offering very little steep discount, one quarter what it's really worth, if not less. Uh, and then you're selling it. You're going to sell it probably at the full market value, because uh, it's a it's a limited, especially to the neighbor, right? It's it who right. they have unique. To them, it's much more valuable than to an average Joe out there. Um, right. So, how do you um, how do you find them? I mean, how do you find people who own these these lots? You you advertise. You you reach out to folks. You as you, you mentioned, uh, Meta, Facebook, or any other sources. Uh, I guess. Um, how do you find people to to basically sell you the land? So. You know, this is all public information. So where we want to start is our county research. Because Mike, let's fake it. Nobody wakes up and thinks to themselves, boy, I want some raw land in Iowa today, unless you live in Iowa. So we want to go to the Sunshine States, Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico, Texas, um, California, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of the Northwest, uh, Washington, Oregon, and then Florida. So we want to look at those counties where there's a market and do our research that way and then contact the county assessor and get the list of people that own all the property and then scrub that list and get it down to vacant land and then do one more scrub by assessor's parcel number or APN number. So you're in subdivision because if I send someone an offer with 40 acres, the same as five acres, a 40 acre person is going to send me that glitter in the mail. So then you price it correctly and then send out your offers. So you, you, you scrub the data, you get the data, you, you send folks letters that want to buy land, and um, most folks actually respond. Uh, it, it's been crazy out there. A lot, a lot of um, postcard marketing will, will want to buy a house or, wanna, or people send letters. Uh, you, you still get responses. People don't throw it out of, you know, throw it in the garbage. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's such a big market. It's not like housing, whether it's, you know, housing sexy. Right, like, you know, you're not gonna go, like if you go to a RIA meeting and there's a hundred people in that room, uh, 99 of them will be house flippers, landlords and wholesalers. You and I would be the only land guy. Um, you're not gonna go to HGTV or the DIY network and see flip this land. The before picture is raw land, the after picture is raw land. So it's sort of this unloved, very boring niche. Um, and it's just a huge market. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um... And uh, so how, how do folks work with you? Obviously, um, you, 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 you find cheap land, you buy, you sell it to the buyers. Uh, but the people who buy that land are, I guess, your, your end user, your, 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 your purchaser. Uh, right. Do, do you work with folks that invest into this or, or, or you don't actually need any folks to invest? You just need people who want to buy from the land from you. Yeah, I mean, we, we do work with accredited investors uh, as well. So if, if, you know, we have to have a one-to-one -one conversation with them, and we can talk to them about it. Gotcha. Um, 
So what do you think about this whole strategy in, in, in lieu of what's happening out there today with the um, kind of pending recession? How does this asset class do during a potential recession? So this asset class actually does really well, relatively speaking. So, you know, we're in a long tail of real estate. So we'll see commercial and residential getting hit and we can sort of start adjusting our pricing from there um, before our market will get hit. So for example, in 2008, 2009, I did just fine. It was 2010 where we had a lot of defaults on our land notes. So once I kind of learned about this cycle, it took about two years to rebalance the portfolio and figure out the new pricing. So the other issue how, is how like much in an inflationary environment. How much correction did uh, you see in, from 2000? I, you know, 50, I lost 50% of my land notes. So people basically bugged out. People who were paying you 50% of them roughly stopped paying. Stopped paying, correct. But you still bought them so cheap that I guess you still did okay, right? Oh, I did great. Yeah. Yeah. So if you bought it, it just, for a quarter and you sold it for a full price and 50% don't pay you, you're still 50% of the people still still double what you paid for it is still paying you, right? Right. And the other issue with this niche is that we're not we have no debt. So because we don't have debt, we're not ex, we're not going to feel the accelerated pain of uh, a recession or a depression in and in, in, in the asset class. So, so the worst thing you just call you just hold hold the land, but at some point you need to continue to collect on your receivables as long as good enough uh, percentage of people are pay, paying you, you're still okay. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Interesting. Um, and um, I guess uh, do you you do you don't do anything with the land? You don't do any improvements. You don't build a shed. Nothing. Like you basically buy exactly. all. You just market it and let let the buyer do whatever they want to do on the property. Exactly. Exactly. I I, I was interviewing another guy who was buying something very similar. Uh, Doug Smith out of uh, uh, Dallas, and he was buying like. 100 acres and then chopping it up into you know smaller parcels and then selling them but he would do a well he would put in power lines a few other things and you don't do any of that stuff no i mean we we typically don't no no interesting uh what about i was talking to yet another group um of folks with with all end um they buy also acreage and then they they sell timber yeah, it's a great model. I don't know if you do any of that because the land still has some value, long-term value, but they could sell a good amount of timber, especially you know when timber price is high. Yeah, we don't focus on it, but we'll definitely do it. If we find um, a large plot, we'll definitely sell the timber as we clear it and subdivide it. Got you. So um, Where do you see that this is going? Is this, by the way, oh, one question. Is this legal in, in all states? Is this, uh, I, I think some states have had some challenges like like Texas, uh, land contracts are generally not very welcome. Yeah, so Texas and Florida land contracts are not welcome. Um, there is a way to structure it so that you can still do it. But it takes a little bit of legal finessing. Okay. So just the contract has to look a little differently. Right, right. Okay. Um, 
do you see this this as an opportunity to um, again? I, and 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 this is a, you know we're living in the post COVID world, and folks have have been wanted to get away from the big cities, and now coming back. Is this something that's just you know going to continue to to be uh, ongoing asset class? And 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 what do people do with the land? Like, I mean, what do they go? They come out, go shoot their guns. They come out to build camping grounds. What do they do? I mean, again, like I said before, uh, a lot of them just want to use it as a legacy investment. Um, they might use it recreationally, but for the most part, they're not going vertical on it. Okay. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's an American dream to own a few acres of land in, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I, I never thought this would be something people want to buy for investment as much as um, more like recreational. Uh, you, get, you get two acres of land and you want, you want to go camping or something. Uh, right. Okay. So uh, how do investors work with you? I'm just curious. What, what, what do folks do? They reach out to you and say, hey, I want to invest in this raw land. I want to make a deal with you. Or what, 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 how does it work? Yeah, that, it's literally that simple. They just email me and we get on a call and we talk to them about it. Did you, um, did you just do a bunch of partnerships or you have a fund or I'm just... Just, just curious. Yeah, we do both. We do both. So you, you have a fund that invests into, um, is it, what is it, 506C, 506B fund? Or is this just a, a bunch of individual partnerships? It's it's a Reg D. Well, it's a, both are on the Reg D. Yeah. Is it the B or yeah. C? I, I believe it's the B. It's a B, okay. Yeah. And what kind of return have you been able to, to get investors? Well, I don't want to talk about it publicly. Okay. <laughs> the yeah. B fund, you can't talk about it publicly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Um, what else? What else is interesting in, in, in this neck of the woods? What, what other, I guess, opportunities or, or, or uh, kind of hidden treasures in this, in this business? Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a great model um, in the sense that, you know, when there is inflation, this is a, a typical inflation hedge. Why? And why? Because it's got a fixed supply. So when there's inflation, there's a, people want to go to assets that have a fixed supply. So, for example, gold, silver, raw land. Um, you can see why housing keeps going up in value because the builders have stopped building. So you've got a huge supply demand issue. At some point that's gonna to have to correct itself, but raw land is just sort of just enjoying the run as is, you know, other fixed supply assets. You can say Bitcoin, if you're a, you know, into crypto. So when you've got inflation like that, people, you know, cash is trash. So essentially when you're buying land, you're essentially selling dollars. Yeah, that, that I certainly believe in, uh, the classic inflation model, 10 apples, $10. What happens when you have $20 and still 10 apples, you wind up paying 2,000 apples versus $1 in the past. Uh, and right. certainly printed a lot of money in the last few uh, years. But back to, uh, what about interest rates? And um, well, I guess it doesn't impact you at all. Uh, the, the housing is gonna, is gonna care because the mortgage payments are going up. But for land, if you're selling it on seller financing, you're still you're still going to charge the same amount of money as you were charging before. Correct, correct. 
So I guess you're not impacted by rising or not much impacted by rising interest rates. Uh, you just, just the only thing that you worry about is weakening demand for the, uh, for the land. If there's a recession, people stop buying these recreational investments or these, uh, what do we call them? Legacy investments that, because um, it, it's, it's cash out of their pocket. So they, they worry more about. Right. I mean, you know, when there's a recession, you want you if you're in a recession-proof business, you you're in good shape. But you know, typically, um, you're gonna have to ride it out. And you know, we do a profit-first model to make sure that we're being fisc- fiscally conservative and we can ride out any bumps and reprice our portfolio and resell the land. But you know, luckily, even in 2010, I mean, they they all sell at the right price. How long have you been doing the, the, this model? I've been doing this full time since 2001. Gotcha. So you've actually gone through the, but I guess downturn, uh, yeah. 2008. And um, did you lose money during that? That you have fifty percent of the people stop paying you, but did you lose? Uh, I mean, no. I wrote a book about it. Uh, I wrote Dirt Rich. I talk about my story and how I handled it. But really, Frontier Properties, the investment company, was profitable every year. Um, I myself had what I call Parkinson's law of money. So the more money I made, the more money I spent. So when 50% of my income got hit, uh, that was no fun. So I personally had to make adjustments. Yeah, makes sense. Um, By the way, do you see uh, inflation slowing down? I mean, it's kind of a weird environment. One one of the things, I mean, well, a little little off the tangent, but still, uh, one of the weird things is uh, one of the most recent commentaries I heard. Uh, this this uh, inflation is caused heavily by supply chain more than uh, anything else. And the question is, will the rising interest rates fix the supply chain? <laughs> and the answer is no, we won't. No. So my my guess is is that there will be a repricing, um, and we'll just have a, like sort of this. Well, I think there's only two ways out of it, really. So either we reset the long-term debt cycle, like we did in World War II, and we no longer become, uh, you know, the the world currency, essentially, um, and because we default, right, um, as a country. I mean, let's say let's say that you borrow four trillion dollars from me, right, and I can set my own interest rate, or you can set your own interest rate. How high are you going to set the interest rate on yourself before you're going to default? Yeah, it's almost um, counterintuitive. It, it's crazy that the U.S. sets the interest rates. Yeah, the interest rate is supposed to reflect risk, but in reality, it doesn't. It's because of U.S. I guess well, in theory, the Fed doesn't control interest rates. Right? I mean, they they certainly have a policy, and then they can they can set targets, but the broad right. market sets the interest rate depending on the risk. In theory. Right. And the other, the other issue is um, we're not the only irresponsible countries out there. I mean, globally speaking, they've all pumped too much money into their economies. Right. So it's going to be uh, a bad recession when it hits. It's not going to be, there won't be a soft landing. Uh, but I don't know, you know exactly when it's going to happen. It just seems inevitable. Uh, it's going to happen. And I feel, I feel like we're just overdue. So it takes a while for that $4 trillion 
that's you know been pumped into an economy to to work its way out essentially yeah that's an interesting theory we could certainly debate it and uh for a long time and and uh it feels like uh the, the rates only will go up uh, a little bit as much as they they they, they want to go up higher at least the fed has set up the song that they they, they want to hike but practically speaking once the uh recession hits the US economy is just too over leveraged with um cheap debt and rates can't really go much higher before the pain sets in to to the nth degree and then then they're going to reverse the course um right but back to the land so um I'm just curious what's a typical taxes on um uh what are the tax rates on on raw land so if you buy a ten thousand dollar parcel uh what are the annual taxes i mean they're really cheap it's you know a ten thousand dollar parcel of land but at the most it might be a hundred bucks a year with taxes so it doesn't really have a lot of downside it's almost like you buy it the taxes are very low and uh it doesn't depreciate so that that that's that's the the strength of of owning this land and um um uh, even though there's no practical immediate use for it but as the world population continues to grow at some point more land will be needed for um uh, for other things beyond because uh, there's still there's still a lot of raw land still a lot of raw land and uh living in the city like new york um it's almost you know the, the, the night day difference when you understand how much uh a small lot of land costs here versus like in the middle of arizona right right exactly so it's it's, exactly. it's, it's fascinating <laughs> in manhattan developer could pay uh 10 million dollars for fairly small you know piece of land to build a skyscraper and this is just again a small plot and uh in arizona you could probably buy i don't know <laughs> um thousands of acres probably you could buy several towns exactly yeah um how would folks get a hold of you um basically I, is yeah, there a good website yeah, the best way is thelandgeek.com, thelandgeek.com. And if people want to try the model, uh, I've got a free course. Then go to thelandgeek.com forward slash quick deals. Gotcha. Um, thelandgeek.com and, and uh, they, can, they can take it from there if they want to. Uh, yeah, m- most of the folks that we work with, uh, obviously the capital investors, they're not necessarily uh, uh, people who will try to buy and sell land. It's an interesting model. You have to be a specialist. You're a specialist. I, we know the group, as I mentioned, discount lots, guys, a specialist. I feel that this is a game of specialization like anything else. The same way uh, you, you could be a multifamily specialist or self-storage specialist. Or you could be a, a raw land specialist. You can't be a jack of all trades. You have to know your neck of the woods, your, your specialty very well. So. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm a... I'm a inch wide and a mile deep makes total sense appreciate your wisdom appreciate sharing and um folks will reach out uh with questions follow up um and uh any final thoughts any good book recommendation <laughs> besides your book uh yeah, yeah i mean um what gosh i just i just read Four Thousand weeks by oliver berkman it's a great book if you're the kind of person that has anxiety about 
getting enough done or you're sort of, you know, one of those people that love looking at productivity uh, hacks, this book is just the antidote. It will just make you just so calm. So 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. 4,000 Weeks. Thank you. Like anything else, all good things come to an end. So does this episode. Appreciate you coming on the episode and sharing. And uh, thelandgeek.com once again, folks. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to bigmikefun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.